Have you ever put your house on the market? You know, when you put your house on the market, there's something that always happens when you do that at unexpected times and more than likely at the most unreasonable times. Some realtor will call your home and tell you, I have some people that want to look at your house in the next 15 minutes. And if you've ever had to sell your house and had to be ready at any moment for someone to come and invade your privacy and look at your home, you know how how critical it is to make sure that your home is exactly as you are told it needs to look in order for it to sell. Now, if you are one of those people that go to somebody's home, do not look through the drawers and in the closed closets. Don't do those kind of things. They're, They're closed for a reason because more than likely there's a part of that home that's not quite ready for inspection. For example, if you were to invite me over to your home for dinner here this afternoon, or I were to invite myself for dinner at your home uh, at 12 o'clock, I would more than likely, because of my height, be able to put my finger on your refrigerator and find that you have not cleaned the top of your refrigerator in a long time. Have you ever been called by your spouse at the last moment and said, Honey, family is on the way, or I'm bringing some friends by, and and we're going to spend some time at the house? Ladies, you didn't have any makeup on. You were still in your pajamas and it was 2 o'clock. And you're frantically running through your house to prepare for the unwanted and unwelcome family and friends that are invading your time of being just by yourself and enjoying your relaxing day. Have you ever, students, had a class like I had once when I was in seminary where the professor gave us lengthy reading assignments every single day And uh, when he assigned to them, he said, you know, I'm going to trust you that you're going to read the assignments. But he said, every day when you come into class, and it was one of those classes you were there four days a week, every day when you come into class, just by chance, to make sure that you're being honest in your reading, you might have a pop quiz on your assigned reading of that day. First, I didn't think that was much trust that he handed us as students, that we were going to keep up the reading. But if you can imagine the, the... the horror of those of us who were listening to that and to see the exhaustive pages that we were to read every day, that the possibility of a pop test was going to be 50% of your grade at the end of the semester, and that he more than likely would do at least one of those a week. You would be responsible in keeping up with assignment. You would be responsible in keeping your home ready in case at any moment a realtor were to call to show your home. There's a, a sense of urgency and, and a sense of intentionality sometimes in life that causes us to live life very purposefully, not nor sort of flippantly, not very, you know, just sort of matter-of-factly. We, we, we sometimes have some aspects about work, about school, about life that must be seen as very intentional. We need to live those out with an intentionality. And because of the crowded agendas and the schedules that we have, often what we are asked to do for the Lord sort of gets shoved aside and put to the side, and we live that part of our life, the spiritual aspect of our life, with a little less intentionality that we possibly do the other aspects of our lives because there is an immediate gratification, but an immediate response that is demanded from us in being prepared at the right moment, at the right time, when we are least unprepared for it. But Jesus so far in Matthew 25 has sort of admonished his disciples that we are to anticipate and expect the return of Christ at any moment. 
Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, he says that we must be ready at any moment. For at just the drop of a hat, in the split second, in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet of God could blow, and the dead in Christ will rise, and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and will be forever the Lord, and will stand before the Lord accountable and responsible and give an account of our lives to him. We must be ready at any moment. We don't know when or where or how it's going to happen, but we know when it happens, it's going to happen it's going to invade our lives and we must be ready at any moment now in Matthew 25 verse 14 he helps us understand what we need to do in order to get ready for that drop of the hat that split second that any moment when Christ does return in Matthew 25 14 to 30 and he's admonishing us to live our lives for Christ with an intentionality that is focused, that is disciplined, that is decisive, so that when he comes, he finds us responsible because if we're not responsible, when we're held accountable, there will be a price to pay for our lack of preparedness. Like an unwanted family or friend who comes over and finds us still in our pajamas and our, our clothes sprawled out everywhere, or, or maybe like we've not kept up with the assignments and all of a sudden we're having to fake it through a test and hoping that it's a true and false question test and we can at least get 50% right. You know, there's a time in which we are going to stand before the Lord and we must live with the expectation and the anticipation that he's going to come at any moment, at any second, at the drop of a hat. And as he comes, he is to find, a, find us living with an intentionality for that very special moment. Because once that moment takes place, eternity then will become reality and the opportunities to prepare ourselves are gone. And they're lost forever. And you're going to find yourself unprepared, not living intentionally for the return of Christ. So Matthew 25 gives us five things that I want us to take a look at. Number one, intentionality lives wisely. Intentionality lives wisely. Let's look at the text. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each he gave according to his ability. Then he went away. Now Christ is describing the kingdom of God. He is walking as we have been discussing for the last several Sundays beginning in Matthew 24. After, after having completed a day of ministry in the temple, he's walking toward his Burb residence where he's going to sleep just on the outskirts of Jerusalem and he is walking down the road and the disciples point as we have discussed to the temple which is a magnanimous magnificent world beautiful incredible display of the glory of God because that's where the Shekinah presence and the glory of God lives in the temple and they are in awe by that and Christ said in three days that temple is going to be destroyed and on the way to Bethany, they finally arrive at the Mount of Olives where he stops and he, he sort of gives them this, this long lecture or this long preaching or teaching Matthew 24, 25 in regard to the kingdom that he's going to set up, which is not going to be now, but it's going to be soon. And he wants them to be prepared for it. 
And so now in 25, he says that he wants them, when he does return, to set up his kingdom, that they are to live intentional lives. And that intentionality first means that we must live wisely. We saw that last week with the five bridegrooms that were well, five were foolish and five were wise. Five did not bring oil and five did. And as a result of that, they lived wisely. But again, Jesus sort of repeats himself pretty much in my, my estimation in these opening sentences, verse 14 and 15, as he talks about how we must intentionally live. And I think he does that because I don't know about you, but I'm a little hard-headed and it takes me more than once to get it. Can I get any amen to that? I'm a little hard-headed. Thank you. But you're a little hard-headed as well. And we often have to have something repeated to us in order for us to finally get it. And he sort of repeats somewhat the same thing in a different way in verses 14 and 15, where intentionality lives wisely. Why does it live wisely? Because Jesus is saying, I am going to eventually return and set up my kingdom, for my kingdom is going to be described. Let me describe it for you. Let me paint a picture for you. It's like a, a man, and obviously Jesus is this man. This man is later on going to be described as a master. And Jesus obviously is not just the Messiah. He's not just a man, but he is the master of ceremonies. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God. He is Jesus. And so this man is Christ, for it will be like a man, me, Jesus, who's going on a journey. And he's warning his disciples even before now, and he will warn them again that I'm about to be gone. I'm going to leave physically your presence. He's going to leave another helper, the Holy Spirit, but physically he will not be with him. He's going to go to heaven to prepare a place for them. For if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, John 14. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave for a while. I'm going to go on a journey. I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you, but I will come again. And when that preparation is done, I will return. And when I do, I'm going to call my servants. And so he's saying that, that when I return, I'm going to call them. But before I leave, I'm calling you as my servants. As we have described in the last earlier months of this year, Jesus went around seeking out disciples whom he might call. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so these were his disciples and they are called his servants. The word servant here is also the word for slave. It means that they as his servants were his slaves. He owned them. They belonged to him. And that's exactly what disciples are. We are the slaves of Christ. We are his servants to do his bidding, to follow his commands, to do his will. And we are his slaves. And we have, like here, I have called my servants and I have entrusted to them my property. I have entrusted to them. What you have is a living trust that God has endowed. He has entrusted to you. What you have is not yours. It is his. Notice he said that he has entrusted them his property. So that, that word for property doesn't really necessarily mean property in and of itself, but it means really anything that can, can convey some sort of something that he has endowed or entrusted to you. So what you have has been given to you by, by God, by Christ, as a living trust. It's an endowment, been entrusted to you. And there are many in our world today who don't know God and have not placed their faith and trust in Christ and think that what they have acquired or what they possess or what they have attained, they have done by pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps and they have earned it, they have worked for it, so therefore it is theirs. But a disciple understands that he's been entrusted with what belongs to his master. 
to his Messiah, to his Lord, to Christ. What you have as a disciple isn't yours. If you're his slave, you're his servant. And as his servant, what you have been entrusted with doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And I'm saying everything belongs to him if you're his disciple. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your gifts, your possessions, it all belongs to him because everything you possess, you have earned, you have gained has been solely because of the grace of God through the power of God through you in order to attain, to achieve, and to possess these things. They have been entrusted to you. And so he says, for it will be like a man who's going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. And then he begins to help us understand exactly how he delved out, delved out or displayed or, or dished out or, or gave his property, what belonged to him. To one, it says he gave five talents. Now, a talent is, is a weight measurement. It's not a, a really a coin. Uh, this, this, whether it's bronze or silver or gold, it hasn't been coined. It is, uh, the talent is mostly a, a weight and this, this is not just about money. It's about every aspect of our lives. And many want to make it about money, but it's not only about money. It's about every aspect of our lives. And he, so he says, to one, he gave five talents. He gave five to this one individual. To another, he gave two. And to another, he gave one. And we might think, how unfair is that? Why did he give one five, one two, and one one? Because he is God. He is Lord. And because he is sovereign, and because he knows us, he entrusts to us, based upon, it says, on each other's ability, on his ability. Now, it doesn't mean that you're less of a degree than one other who received five. Let's say you received only one, and I received five, or maybe I received one, and you received five. That doesn't elevate you to a position greater than me. It just means that the, the, the master sovereignly displayed uh, in his sovereign will and understanding because he knows each of us individually as servants and slaves what we can handle and what we can handle what he wants to give us and what he doesn't want to give us and so he then entrusts to us based upon his will and his estimation because keep in mind though the God's estimation is not man's estimation because man doesn't see if you remember when he uh, sent the prophet out to get uh, uh, to, to collect a king for the for God's people and the sons of Jesse all stood up there and they were the brightest, the best looking and the tallest and the strongest. And God told the prophet, hey, the one I want to choose isn't here. And he said, you have another son? He said, yeah, he's David. He's out in the field, scrawny, little redheaded, good for nothing kid. All he's worth is doing that. And, and, and God told the prophet, that's the one I want to select. So keep in mind that God's standard of selection isn't man's standard. He doesn't value or place value on you or on others with a human perception or human understanding. And so based upon their ability, he gave one five, one two, and one one. And notice then he went away. And Jesus is forewarning them that he's soon going to go away. They don't hear him here really saying that, but eventually they will learn that he has departed and that he has gone to heaven but that he will return. So if you take a look at this, really, you see that they all knew the master. The one with five, or the one with two, and the one with one, they all had a relationship with the master. They all knew the master. They were all familiar with the master. You take a look at this. They all received something. They all received something. In other words, he didn't give one five, one two, one one, and then one nothing. Everyone received something. 
And because everyone receives something, we need to understand that God places value on what he gave. He may have given one five and one two and one one, but he sees the value in even the one that was given. The one that was given to the one is of incredible value because not only did it come from the master, but it came with a trust in this one servant that he would fulfill and do with this one thing what was expected of him. That this one talent is, is a large responsibility. It is a, a, a magnanimous thing. Don't, don't minimize the one uh, and make it a lesser degree than the five. The five, the two, and the one, they're all of value to the master. And he expects, and they understood that they are expected to take what was entrusted to them and put it to work. They were to invest it. Not in themselves, but they were to invest it in the master's kingdom so that when he returned, his kingdom would be enlarged. And they knew the expectation of what they had received. One, the five, one, the two, and one. They knew what was expected of them. That the master was going to return and was going to require of them on the day of reckoning some sort of return for what he had entrusted to them. He was going to say, what have you done with what I've given you? And how have you invested it into my kingdom? And has my kingdom enlarged because of my trust in you? As I take a look at this, I think, as we see later on in the text, that two were incredibly wise and one was very foolish. Now, in the, the bridesmaids that we saw last week, five foolish and five wise, it was equal. But here in the, the one that received five and the one received two and the one received one, we see one who is very foolish. And, and he's very foolish for very many different reasons. But I don't know what God has entrusted to you. I hope you know what he has entrusted to you. Whatever time you have on this earth has, has been entrusted to you. Some of us may live a day. Some of us may live 30 days. Some of us may live a year. Some of us several years. We have a church member here whose stepmother was given six months to a year to live because of a cancer in her brain. And most of us sort of walk around through life as if we have years to live. But when we get a diagnosis like that, how wisely do we, invest, do we invest the six months of the year that we have left? See, when I, that, that's my point. Is that we've been entrusted with time. We've been entrusted with talents and abilities. Singing or, or, or working or physical strength or uh, mental intelligence, which I have very little of, or, or maybe just some sort of instrument talent or some sort of vocal talent or some sort of financial blessing. You, you have these talents that God has given you, and, and, and all of this has been given to you as a, an endowment, as a living trust. He has entrusted these things to you, and, and we're not sure when he's going to return or when we're going to be called home. It really doesn't matter which one happens first, but we know that at some point we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of our lives, and so we must now, while we can, take advantage of this opportunity and act wisely, not foolishly, because at any second he could return. Intentionality is wisely. Number two, intentionality lives purposefully. You're not here by accident. Your life is not a coincidence. I don't care what, what circumstances surround your birth or your conception or, or your life itself. God is the only one who can give life. God is the only one who can start life. I think God is the only one who can end life, and God is the one who supports and sustains life. 
And there's a, a purpose about your life that God has when he created you, he crafted you, and he birthed you, and you brought you into this life, and he has raised you to where you are today to fulfill a purpose. And that purpose is not to be wasted on yourself or your selfish, carnal nature, but it is to be exhausted, it is to be used in order to help build up the kingdom of God for the glory of God as he works in and through you, empowering you to make that a reality. And intentionality understands that I am I'm here for a purpose and I am fulfilling and living out that purpose in which I am to use or to utilize what God has entrusted to me in order for the building up of the kingdom of God. Notice in the text, verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. And so also the one who had two talents made two talents more. There's an immediate response as soon as the master leaves these two the one with five and the one with two immediately go to work they don't delay they don't say he's coming back you know he won't be back tomorrow maybe he'll be back next year or 10 years or 20 years they immediately then began to actively put what has been entrusted to them to use and they initiate this trade. They begin to utilize those talents, those gifts, those abilities, those endowments. They use them. They invest them. And then notice there's an increase when they do that. We must understand that the increase that, that is that expected and required of us is not an, not an increase that's done in and of ourselves independently and apart from God, but dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God who works in and through us to energize and to empower us to see the results that Christ is going to expect from us. But we must join him. We must be proactive. We, we've got to actively work with him. We just can't say, well, you know, I'm just going to rely upon the Lord and sit back, kick back, and relax and let him do it without my, my involvement, without my interaction. And God can do it without you. But he chooses to use us as his instruments, as his vessels, who are purposefully placed where we are, who are purposefully given what we have in order so that God through us then can increase, then can multiply purposefully his kingdom so that when he returns, what he invested in us will have produced a yield, a return. But notice the one servant who really isn't a servant at all. Verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, uh, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Like the other two, he had received what the master gave him. He didn't reject it. He received it. But even though he received the talent, he, he reflected upon the assignment and he rejected the assignment. said, I don't want to do what I have been instructed and entrusted to do. I, I just flat out don't want to do what is expected of me. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to take this talent or this treasure or this time or whatever it is that God has endowed or entrusted to me, and I'm just not going to do anything with it. Not only did he not do anything with it, but we notice here that, that he resolved to dig a hole in the ground and to hide it rather than work, use it, and invest it. Now, in his defense, that was a pretty good thing to do. I mean, they didn't have really banks today like we have today where they had vaults and things of that could secure things. And so it was not uncommon for people to take valuables and go somewhere and dig a deep hole and bury them so that no one else would know where they might be, so they could be stolen or lost. And so he, he did exactly that. 
But the reality is, even though his, he sought to protect what didn't belong to him, he didn't follow through on the expectations that the master was going to require of him. He rejected the assignment, resisted any work, and refused to do what the master expected him to do. He didn't fulfill his purpose in serving, of investing, and being used by God to increase the master's kingdom. We are purposefully here for that very reason. I'm convinced that God gives us talents and treasures and time and and all of these resources as a living trust not to exhaust them on ourselves for our own selfish, carnal pleasures, but to invest them into the kingdom so that God through us can increase, can expand, can enlarge the kingdom so that when he returns, he will have found that endowment, that investment, that living trust that he gave us has produced eternal yield, not temporary treasures. So intentionally living our lives means that I understand what my purpose is as a disciple and I seek to fulfill that purpose. And if I'm not understanding what my purpose is and seeking to fulfill that purpose, I'm not living intentionally for the, for the Lord's return. And when he does return, I'm going to be caught off guard and unprepared. Why are you here? Why has God given you life, sustained your life, endowed you and entrusted you with the things that you have today? For what purpose? For the purpose of, of serving him. For the purpose of using that which he has given you to increase and to enlarge the kingdom of God. He's not given it to us as his disciples to waste or to spend or to only use them on ourselves. I'm not saying that, 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 that he wants us to walk around in rags or, or, or to, you know, to, ride, to, to ride around in, in beat up automobiles all the time or, or not to have a house or those kinds of things. But we need to be really careful how we invest what God has entrusted to us and that we do it wisely and intentionally so that through that it might build the kingdom and it might be used for the purpose for which God entrusted it to us had I never built my house I would have never met Mike and look at all the fruit that's happened from this relationship in your family today God has a purpose in these things and sometimes we don't see it until later on down the road and so it's important for us, I think, to prayerfully consider, God, how, how and where and when do you want me to use what you've given to me so that through that you can fulfill a greater purpose, not just for my own enjoyment, but for the edification and the building up of the kingdom of God. Intentionality lives purposefully. Number three, intentionality lives expectantly. Expectantly. Notice the expectation that one day there's going to be day, a day of reckoning. And, and intentionality understands that there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a day of accountability because it says in verse 19, and after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. Now, after having given what he gave to these three guys and going on a journey, now, after a long time, 
Now, I think it's interesting, again, he talks about the length of the period of being gone. Remember the, the bridesmaids as they were waiting, and it was a long time, and, and they fell asleep. They all fell asleep, and he came unexpectedly at midnight, and all of a sudden, after a long time, a long period, and, and, and I'm not sure the length of the period really conveys the idea or the belief or the feeling of the master of the Lord, but for those of us who are awaiting his return, it seems like it's a long time. But it, it describes, he describes it here as a long time. There's been a, a lengthy period in which he has given what he has given to us, entrusted to us. He's given us ample time to invest what he has entrusted to us. He's given us plenty of time to work. He's given us plenty of time to use what he's given us. We, we have now no excuse because we have, we have had plenty of time now to use what he has given to us. And now all of a sudden, a long time, notice the master of those servants. Again, he talks about the identity of the servants and the relationship that those servants have with the master. He is their slave. They are his slaves. They are his servants. There's an identity and a relationship here where they are submissive, dependent upon him. And after a long time, the master of those slaves, he finally, notice he comes. He arrives. But the idea of the word come has an idea of he sought them out. He pursued them. He went to them individually and he called them to come. And he came. And what was the purpose for coming? To settle accounts. We can expect someday to stand before our Savior and he's going to say, What did you do with what I entrusted to you? What'd you do with it? Show me the ledger. Show me the account. Here's what I've given. Now, what, what's been the yield? How have you used it? How have you invested it? How, have, how has that trust taken responsibility and used it for my glory and for the building up of my kingdom? An expectation that we will stand before him and give an account, and that intentionality should motivate us because one of these days we do know that we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives. But in this, in this expectancy, notice that all three of these men stand accountable. If you take a look at the text, it says, Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts. Notice it says, With them. With them. He's not going to settle accounts with just the one with five and the one with two and the one with one, but with everyone. You and I are included in this. If you take a look at he has settled with them, all three stand before the Lord giving an account. There is no one that escapes giving an account, and they all had to give an account for what they had been entrusted, for what they had been given. No one in here today is going to escape accountability day. You will one day. Laugh at it if you will, or mock it if you choose, or deny its existence. You will one day stand before the Lord and give an account of your life before him. And he's going to ask you, how did you live the life that I gave you? What did you do with your time? What did you do with your talent? What did you do with your treasures? Give an account. Tell me, what did you do? And we're not going to be able to lie to him because he's going to know what we did with it. So we're going to have to be pretty honest. It's not like... You know, your parents or your grandparents or maybe someone at work and you're giving account of the time that you spent and the things that you said and things that you've done. He's going to know. And he's going to require honesty on our part. And we're going to know that he knows. 
Because there are going to some who are going to stand before him and say, yeah, Lord, but what about? And he said, I never knew you. We saw that last week. All three stand accountable, and so will we. Notice, two serve faithfully. Two serve faithfully. Look at the text, verse 20. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set before you or set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had been given two talents came with two talents more. Here I have made two talents more, he said. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He says almost the same thing to the, well, exactly the same thing to the one that had been given two and the one that had been given one. You take a look at the text, they, they reveal the fruit of their labor. Lord, we were responsible, we were uh, reliable, we, we, we put to use what you had entrusted to us, we, we invested it, we used it, we, 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 we moved what you gave us in order to increase your kingdom. Now there, there's more in your kingdom because of what you had given to us. That was what they revealed. And the Messiah, the master, recognized their labor. He recognized their discipline. He recognized their devotion. He recognized what they had contributed. And notice the reward for their faithfulness. He said they were good, they were righteous, and they were faithful. They have been responsible. But I think it's interesting in this text that in spite of all that, here's the bad news about this. There was no rest. <laughs> Did you notice that? He gave them more. Now, that's the, if you want to look at it, that's the negative side of this. You're responsible for the five, the two, or the one that God gives you, and you multiply it from five to ten or two to four or one to two. And you think, well, okay, now it's time to sit back, kick back, and relax. And God says, no, you've been, a, you, you, you've been responsible with what I gave you. Now I'm going to give you more. And some of you are saying, I can't take any more. <laughs> I've got 15 jobs at the church already. Some of us should be stepping up to the plate. Because we're not really doing much with the one that God gave us. But there's more. Accountability, more responsibility, more to do when we've been faithful, not less because the end has not happened. But notice the one that shows unpreparedness. Verse 25, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, wow, notice this confession. This, this, is, this, is, this is incredible. Notice his lack of honesty. He calls him Master. That's not being honest, because we saw earlier he refused and he rejected and resisted what the master wanted him to do. He calls him master, but the reality is he isn't his master. He's only giving lip service. He's not giving life service. He calls him master. Lord, Lord. No, 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 no. I'm not your Lord. You're, you're calling me master, but I'm not really your master. He says, master. What, what lack of honesty here that we see on the part of this guy. I think there are many that call him Savior and many who call him Lord and many who call him Master. But they're not truly being honest because he's not Lord and he's not Master. And they're not servants. 
I knew, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Notice the hypocrisy here. He's giving his master an excuse, and this excuse is nothing more than, than hypocrisy because Jesus is about to tell him, if you thought I was this way, then you would have used what I gave you. You would have invested it. You would have increased my kingdom. And I mean, you knew that I, if you really believed, he's not saying, Jesus is not saying I am this way, but he's saying if you really believe this, it, that alone should have motivated you to do something with what I gave you. And, and here he's being a hypocrite because the very thing that he's confessing, I believe you to be this, didn't motivate him at all to do something about it. And, and this is really sad. Here, you have what is yours. I mean, this is, this is an arrogance on the part of this guy. It's kind of like, well, here. Here. That, that's, that's sad, really. Here. And it, it, it's an arrogance on the part of this, 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 this ungrateful unrepentant, claiming to be a servant and a slave and a, master, and, and, and a, and a servant and a, and a slave of the master, but the reality is not here. Here it is. Here, here, here's your stuff. It's not mine anyway, so here's your stuff back. And notice now the condemnation of Jesus. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. The other two were what? What were the other two? Help me out. Faithful and good. They were righteous and they were faithful. This guy is wicked and he is slothful. He is selfish, self-centered, egotistical, and he's lazy. Anybody know anybody lazy? And he's lazy. I didn't mean sometimes you feel lazy, but you're lazy on a continual basis. Slothful servant, you knew if you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed, then that would have motivated you to do something with what I entrusted you because you, you knew that, that if I'm going to demand this of you, then it, you would have done something about it. So he condemns the man, and notice he gives him counsel. He says in verse 27, Then you ought to have invested your money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have, have at least received what was my own with a little bit of interest. I mean, the least you could have done, dude, is, is, is at least taken the money and bothered to walk over to the bank. I mean, there's not a lot of effort here. It doesn't take much. You know, maybe set up an appointment or just walk in and say, I have this, this, this talent here and I, I want to put it in your bank and I'm not sure when the master's coming back, but you keep it and you invest it. So when it comes back, there'll be some interest. And he gives him at least a little bit of cash. You could have at least done that, but you didn't even do that. You lazy and I want to say, pardon me, scumbucket. You heathen, you infidel. And notice the consequences. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Again, more responsibility for the guy that doubled it. In other words, what happened is there was a lost opportunity. If we're not careful, and we don't utilize what God has entrusted to us, You'll lose it. He'll take it away. If God has given you a voice and you don't use it, he'll take it away. 
If God has given you income and you don't use it for what he intended to be, he'll take it away. If you have been given a job and you don't use it for the purpose for which God gave it, he will take it away. If you don't use your health for the purpose for which God gave it, I'm convinced he will take it away. And he'll give it to someone who will take it and who will use it for his kingdom and for his glory. It's important for us not to waste the time and the opportunity that God has given us and to understand that God expects us to join him in what he wants to do as he comes alongside of us and as we use it to invest and, and, and to put it to use. God expects you to do something with what he gave you. It's not, I believe God is sovereign and God could do it without you, but God purposes to use you and to use me and to use us to advance and to build and to grow his kingdom for his glory. And, and if we don't live up to that expectation and, and are saying, Lord, then use me, we lose the opportunity. And he chooses someone else. There's nothing worse. And I, I shouldn't say this, I'm going to say it anyway. My wife says, when you think that, don't say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've known in 38 years of ministry, men and women who are called to ministry, who never surrender to ministry, and they live the rest of their lives miserable because they didn't surrender to ministry when God called them. And they've lost their opportunity. And there's nothing worse as a pastor to do with a church member that didn't surrender to the call to ministry. And now they're frustrated, they're angry, they're critical, and they can do it much better than anybody on staff, any pastor, and, and nothing can help them. And it's all because they're mad at themselves, really, because they didn't answer the call to begin with. Lost opportunity. And I wonder how many opportunities I've missed you've missed and we've missed because we didn't say yes to the Lord. Lastly, number four, intentionality lives responsibly. Notice verse 29. For to everyone who has with has will more be given and he will have an abundance. Responsibility acts appropriately. Doesn't, doesn't respond lazily, but responds faithfully. And when you do, God will entrust you with more. But it also acknowledges the stakes. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Responsibility acknowledges that the stakes are high. And that what God entrusts to us, he expects us to be, be available and to use them for his glory and for his honor and for his kingdom. Number 30, verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Responsibility always avoids the loss of opportunity. I'm going to close with this. A woman was diagnosed with a terminal illness and been given three months to live. As she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and asked him to come to her house to discuss some of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted to be sung at, his, at her funeral, what scriptures she would like to be read, what outfit she wanted to be buried in. She requested to be buried with her favorite Bible. And as the pastor prepared to leave, the woman suddenly remembered something else that she had forgotten to tell him. She said, there's one more thing, she said excitedly. What's that? asked the pastor. This is important, she said. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. 
The pastor stood looking at the woman and not knowing quite what to say. The woman then explained, In all my years of attending church, socials, and potluck dinners, when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, Keep your fork. It is for my favorite part of this meal because I knew that something was coming that was likely better than what I had just eaten. Maybe a piece of chocolate cake or a deep dish of apple pie. So when people see me in the casket with a fork in my hand and they ask, what's with the fork? I want you to tell them, keep your fork for the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I don't care how good you think you have it today. The best is yet to come. And we need to fully understand and fully realize that while the time we have and the talents we've been given and the treasures we've been entrusted with on this earth may be valuable by some, they are not as valuable as what we are to receive on accountability day when we stand before God and he says to us, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? Lord, it was hard. We sacrificed. We served. We gave. It was sweat, toil, tears, difficult, hard. But we know that the best is yet to come. For I hope that you and I will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have run a good race. You have fought a good fight. You have finished the course. Now come and enjoy the fruit of my labor, he will say. And will enter into eternity for the best is yet to come. No matter what you give, the best is yet to come. No matter how hard you work, the best is yet to come. No matter what he asks, the best is yet to come. No matter where he leads, the best is yet to come. No matter what you have to endure, the best is yet to come. Just a little bit, when you hold that fork in your hand at lunch, I want you to look at it for a moment and say to yourself, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. know that God is a God who doesn't give up on us. 
This morning, Jeb wants to come this morning to declare his faith in Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. So, Jeb, have you received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and promised to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Okay, because of that confession, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in the newness of life.